Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pekulski. As always, I want you to live an amazing life. I want to live an amazing life. We frame this podcast around how we can live our greatest life in a body that we absolutely love. And so many guests come on here and give you uh, great theory, and a lot of them give you great tactics and approaches to how we can truly approach living our greatest life. And today's podcast might be the glue that binds it all together. So if you're looking to truthfully change your body, you know that I know... I speak about a lot that we got to change our mind. And the mind is the gateway. The mind controls the body. There's so many aspects of the mind that ultimately dictate our life, right? If you're stressed, you can have a really hard time changing your body. You can have a really hard time changing your mind. You're not going to enjoy your life. You're not going to be happy. So today's guest, Jacques Taylor, is one of the guys I looked up to most in the world right now. He's just an absolutely brilliant, brilliant man. He's been on the podcast before. And today he comes back to share with us his passion around the tactics and the strategies to actually change your mind. So, you know, we have these these psychologists out there and these gurus out there saying, hey, man, you got to have positive thoughts and you got to do, you know, all these daily routines and all these things. And that, that's very important. I think it's, it's important to have some kind of esoteric practices and, and all these other things that people are talking about. But Jacques has a, such a unique approach that I truthfully think might be the most important thing that you've heard on this podcast ever. So he does a much better job explaining this than I do. But it's important for you to know, as Jacques will say, the mind and body cannot be separated. Every single thing you do, movement-wise, thought-wise, are tied together. So if I'm exercising and I'm coming at it from a position of anger or hostility or hate or fear or any of those emotions – you are literally anchoring those emotions. You're reinforcing those emotions in your nervous system. And that, my friends, is a huge concern in our industry right now. If you want to change your life, every single action you take in the day is an opportunity to become the version of yourself that you want to become or to reinforce the person that you currently are. And maybe that's a good thing and maybe that's a bad thing. But most of us, especially people who listen to this podcast, are growth-minded, right? We realize that we can change our body. We realize we can change our mind. And we are after that. We're after the peak of the mountain, right? We are the high achievers in this world. And if you want to do that, how you train your body and mind together is of utmost importance, And Jacques will explain in today's podcast how absolutely necessary it is that you're thinking about the right things when you're doing something. So an example, if I am looking at my body in the mirror and resenting the way I look and going like, man, I have, you know, fat legs or man, I have, I don't know, whatever you name your criticism on yourself. I have to go to the gym because I have to lose my ass or I have to lose my belly, or whatever it happens to be. We talk about this a lot in the podcast. You're literally creating those thoughts in your mind, going to the gym with a negative association, and reinforcing that. So how you think about what you're doing is so important. But anyways, I don't want to be a spoiler on this, but I highly suggest that every one of you guys listens right to the end, because Jacques is such a wealth of information. This guy's absolutely brilliant. And he has the most elegant way of putting it all together. And he is just an amazing, amazing human who's taking such a practical approach to this stuff. He's not hes not just giving you theory and all these big words that most people can't understand or know how to apply. He's saying, hey, here's where the rubber meets the road. Let's do this. This is how we approach this exactly like that. And right at the end, he actually gives you some amazing tactics on some very specific ailments. So. I love this podcast. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. It's going to be something that I teach. It's going to be something that I promote. I absolutely can't speak highly enough about Jacques Taylor as he teaches you about the inextricable inability to separate the mind and the body. Enjoy. What's really interesting is 
you might be able to find another place, let's say someplace in Canada or the US and the world that says, look, we offer all the nutrition support. We offer all the bells and whistles of the rehab and the high performance training. And we offer, uh, what do they call it? Uh, They don't call it mental coaching anymore. Or maybe they do call it mental coaching, something like that, right? But here's what I think really, from what you said to me so far, distinguishes what you guys are doing. And that is, you know that as soon as they walk in the door, their mind is being trained. You know that as soon as they grab that, that dumbbell or that piece of tubing or that whatever, that their mind is being trained. And so that the whole experience is going to be a continuum of how are we training this person's mind as they go through this experience of, of, of this continuum from recovery to stimulation to measurement to you know, maximal performance, right? I don't think that there's one, maybe one physical therapy place uh, over in California that might be doing something like something smaller than that. But very few places that I know of are really working with the idea that your mind is being trained as you move your body, whether you're doing it strategically or not, right? Yep. Can't really separate the two. It's not possible. That realization, when you started to explain that to me, and this is years ago now, just got my brain spinning on, you know, this, this real, reality that I speak to a lot is that every moment in your life, every single moment is an opportunity to reinforce a bad habit that you're not happy with or create a new one that allows you to become the person you want to be, right? That and is it. Literally every second. And I try to explain it to people. It's like, are you conscious enough? So it all has to begin with this, this awareness and presence and, and mindfulness and consciousness so that you can start yeah. becoming aware of your unconscious activities, right? So yes. everything yes. You know, is kind of founded in presence and mindfulness. And, and I want you to start there, man, because I know since I've met you in 2007, you've been doing a mindfulness practice. Mm-hmm. So if you could just tell me how that in any way led you down this path or why is that a necessary piece of the puzzle for the listeners who maybe are resistant to doing their, their meditation training or is there other types of yeah. mindfulness that you suggest throughout the day? Like what type of mindfulness yeah. practices are you implementing on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I think it started for me with uh, a, I'll call it a structured meditation where you're specifically placing your mind on something. And the idea was that the, the first step is coming to have an understanding of yourself, knowing yourself, and then befriending yourself, not being so hard on yourself. Um, so this idea of placing my mind, say, on, on my breath coming in and out. And then when I w- watch my mind wander away, instead of going, oh, Jacques, darn it, there you did, you did it again, you, you're not focused. Yeah. When, you, when you feel that come up, you have to see if you can get a sense of humor and lighten up about it a little bit. So the, the first thing was using this, this mindfulness, this, this paying attention to a very simple thing to just notice what I do under that circumstance of not being able to necessarily do it very well for as long as I wanted to and befriending myself and just lightening up a bit and having a sense of humor because I noticed I was really hard on myself. And as a result, I was hard on the people around me. <laughs> You know, not very forgiving. Do a, do this right or don't do it at all. It, it's very hard to be creative and to find joy when you're not even patient or understanding or relaxed about yourself and your own imperfections. And from that experience of, of a structured, mindful, I guess, training, it expanded to other stuff. Like I kept thinking to myself, what is it about yoga that makes people say, man, I came out of there and I felt so calm, so chilled out. And I thought, okay, is it the positions that they're in? Is that what's doing? Is that doing something special to the nervous system? I was like, no, it's not that. It's where they're specifically placing their minds. It's specifically what they're, what they are trying to think about, what they're trying to explore. So I was like, I could do the same thing if I'm under a bench press. I can actually focus on the experience of moving this load and instead of grimacing, seeing if I can celebrate something interesting about it, right? Yeah. So it started to just translate into all these different areas, just becoming more and more curious. That became, yeah, this 
mindfulness practice, if that makes any sense. Of course. So just reversing back a little bit, can someone be, you know, we have these people who are attached to being high achievers and they say, I got to be a goal achiever. I have to be hard on myself. That's how I've been successful. You and I were just talking about this before we started. Um, yeah. This is how I got to where I am. You know, I, I experienced this as a pro bodybuilder and you saw me go through this. Yes. Like, this is, this is what got me to where I am. And now you're asking me to change and do something different than I've always done is a very, very challenging thing to do. So if someone's not successful, maybe it's easier for them to go, okay, I know I haven't been successful in this and uh, therefore I need to change. But if, what if someone's been successful at something and they're like, man, I just don't want to lose my edge. Like my challenge is, is being hard on my, my, my advantage is being hard on myself. And that's yes. what allows me to exceed and attain such a high level of expectations for myself. How do I start to integrate this mindfulness practice and, and befriending myself and loving myself into someone's mind like that. When I immediately think about two strategies is one is if you're doing something and it's working for you and the consequences aren't bothering you, I don't know I'm gonna convince you to do anything different. So I'd say, keep going until you have a problem and it's not working for you, then let's talk, right? So that, that's one way to think about it. The other one what is- if I, What if I know I'm unhappy? Like I, I know this is like, I'm, I'm achieving things in my life, but ultimately I'm unhappy. Yes, at that point I would say, all right, so let's try to point out a few points of the, of the unhappiness, of the, of the disquiet, of the unease. And once you have those things identified, we put those on the side and we start a very simple practice of training the mind. So sometimes uh, the word meditation makes people think of something that's supposed to, quote, make you a better person or, quote, calm you down. I, I think that that's very, that, that's a, that could be a misleading idea. So what I like to think of it as training your mind. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to do, you've got these roots, these things that are, that are where you're unhappy, but yet you keep doing these same things because your mind is not trained. Let's train your mind so that you have options. And if I can train your mind so that you have options, that means that you still have to have get to success. You just have a different way of getting there. Right? Yeah. So that's the thing is that it's training your mind don't worry about that big, you know, that hard to understand thing of mindfulness. Let's just train your mind to help you get what you want. Let's just do it a slightly different way where you might have more happiness, more joy, more sense of fulfillment, energy without some of the negative stuff that you're experiencing right now. Does that make any sense? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, speaking about my own experience, because it's the only one I can relate to, you know, I've, I was very successful in certain things, getting, got as far as I did acting the way I was, I knew I could continue to progress and in doing that way. But I also saw this other, you know, you're looking around and you're seeing people who are actually successful in different ways. And that's what really got me curious mm. about this idea of mindfulness, right? Like, do you have, you know, people always ask me that question. That's probably the question I get asked most is Ben, you know, you were ruthless when you were an athlete. Do you think you could have been as successful not being that way? Like, do you think you could have been kind and empathetic and, you know, more loving to yourself and still been as successful or maybe more successful as an athlete. And uh, I don't know the answer to that question. And I think yeah. there's a lot of people out there living that reality and we're like, okay, yeah, what, what can I possibly do to achieve? Maybe even, so just to finish that up, like I think now or I feel now that my greatest opportunity lies ahead with this, newfound self-love with this new self found like befriending yourself as you say yes. because now i have a foundation that is solid that i know that i can kind of come back to and rely on this this foundation of honesty this foundation of uh strength and people yeah i just feel like now i have yes. something strong to stand on rather than you know if, if i fall down i'm gonna crumble yes i'm with you 100 percent. here's what i think is so interesting too ben is to, to really answer that question, we would have to have some athletes who are willing to participate. We'd have to have some athletes who are willing to say, I'm going to commit to this, you know, to this kind of mindful, not necessarily mean, aggressive thing. And I'm really commit to it. And then I'm going to have my twin brother go the other route. I'm going to keep the diets the same, sleep habits the same, whatever, and see if the results are the same, right? Now, at the end of the day, you might say, wow, physically, these guys look exactly the same, right? And they perform exactly the same. Maybe. That might yeah, be. Yeah, but, but would they, right? Yeah, but but would, would they? And then would one say, and I'm having fun, and the other one goes, well, this kind of sucks. I'm not happy. 
And then you go, ah, okay, well, which would you rather be? That's one way it could go. Or you could actually see that the person who's doing this with a more, I'll call it open um, and diverse range of emotions attached to their, to their journey uh, might do a little bit better. And here's why I hypothesize that they would do better. Here's the big thing is we know without a doubt that as we push the aggression envelope, we start to ignore some of the some of the helpful feedback that might be telling us about the what should be the limit of a training session that would allow us to recover in time to have a, a subsequent training session, right? Mm-hmm. So that means that without if we ignore some of this this feedback that we're getting from our body for the sake of I'm I'm in it, I'm just gonna crush right through this. That means that it's gonna take me long to rec- longer to recover. So I don't get to build as much, right? Versus the person who maybe stops a little bit sooner, they recover a little bit faster, they get to start the building process a little bit sooner. Sure, but you have people who are arguing, like that that point is so subjective, right? You have people who kind of cut their teeth on this necessity to do more. You know, Mm -hmm. more is better, right? We have this concept now called maximum recoverable volume, which I think is Mm -hmm. absolutely nonsense in my opinion, especially in hypertrophy training, right? It's like, how much can I possibly get away with? It's, you know, it's no, it's the opposite. Like how much is the the least amount I can get away with, right? And and elicit a response. But people aren't thinking that way, right? So now you got to change their mind and then open them up to this opportunity that, hey, maybe there's a different way to approach this. Maybe paying attention is going to give you some triggers that say, hey, okay, I'm done. But then you have that you have this alpha mentality that says, Hey man, I got to work harder than everybody else. Like I lived there for 20 years, right? Right. So right. how do like uh, it's such an impossible mission to fight to tell somebody, hey, do less, and we think you're going to get more results. Like yes, it's that's a challenge. It, it is a challenge, and until we have a champion who's done it that way, nobody will listen. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> since having since having left bodybuilding, and, and it may not be a good example because my training is so objectively intentionally less with the intention of getting smaller, mm-hmm. the amount of work I have to do to grow and, and maintain strength now is a fraction because I'm so much better at contracting, because I'm so much better at being present, because I'm so much better at being mindful and taking my body well into the depths of you know, well beyond what I would have done before as far as that yeah. pain tolerance, yeah. I'm able to do less. And, and there's also a conversation to be had here around the parasympathetic implications of growth, right? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So if, if yeah. you know, we, we take these two twins and one of them is highly stressed and always, you know, angry about the fact that he's, he's challenging himself. He didn't do enough. He's, he's hard on himself. And the other one's like, man, I did really well today. Um, I think there's certainly maybe not quantified yet. You can tell me if I'm wrong, a benefit that lies within this parasympathetic reality. We could quantify that. There are a couple of things that we could quantify. One would be heart rate variability, right? Yeah, for sure. Heart rate variability, which uh, which influence uh, the readiness of your of your system to be challenged again. And two, if we if we were measuring it in terms of hypertrophy, I'm sure we would see a difference there in terms of your uh, protein turnover. Yep. Uh, and in terms of strength, we notice it there too, because that again, that's a function of recovery. Mm-hmm. And the more psychologically stressed you are, and physically stressed you are the longer your overall recovery, right? We have so many examples of how, and this is a really interesting thing we can get into this, is is how the activity of your mind can determine how your body responds to certain stimuli. For example, if you think that a beverage is high in calories, your body will respond as if it's high in calories, even if that beverage is not. Isn't that crazy? Absolutely. And I've seen the data. Yeah. This idea that it's all about just the calories. It's, no, it's also about what you think about the calories that you're eating. <laughs> and that just blows my mind every time I think about it. Mm-hmm. Every time I think about it. That Do you happen idea, to know who, who that study was done by so I can pull it up? Because you know, you're going to have a lot of people will question that. Yes. Aliyah. A-L-I-A. And the last name is Crum. C-R-U-M. She is a clinical psychologist. At Columbia Business School, they did this really interesting study with um, something called Sensor Shake and looking at the molecule ghrelin, G-H-R. Yeah. Yeah, L-E-N. Very cool. Yeah, really, really interesting work. So, man, moving along from there, I want to pull mm-hmm. this pull f- full circle to, yeah. you know, we talked about the necessity of this mindfulness piece. 
<clears throat> and, and how you can start, you know, being a little more friendly with yourself and accepting yourself. And I think that's so vital to any type of success in life, right? Is, you know, until you begin to accept yourself and love yourself, the likelihood of you being fulfilled and happy, as we know, slim and zero, right? And people are looking yes. for external gratification outside of themselves. And a lot of that external gratification for the people listening to this podcast is coming from exercise. And so, you know, they hate themselves or they hate the way they look or they, they hate something and they're going to the gym and they're, they're going into this attitude of, I dislike myself. I dislike the way they look, the way I look. I have to go punish myself or I have to go crush it. I have to do all these things that are, you know, I, and, and the, I'm choosing these words on purpose. I have to, I have to yes. go do this. I have to go do this. Yes. Um, so they're anchoring, you know, all of these negative connotations or all these negative associations around their workout, you know, that's right. I, I hate my thighs, so I should train them more. I hate my that's ass, right. so I should train it more. Um, I have to, I have to, I hate, I have to. Yes. Talk, talking about that, man. Yes. So here's, here's something that's um, really interesting is, so it's, it's bad enough when we're walking around with those IDs on our heads from moment to moment every day before we walk in the gym. But the gym compounds the issue, and here's why. When you train, your muscles produce these hormones that can change the structure of your brain. Called? There's like five of them. There's a brain-derived neurotropic factor. Yep, BDNF. Yeah, BDNF. That's probably the, the one that most people are familiar with and the right. one that people will, I will say that there's the, the most amount of research about. Uh, but there's also one called irisin. There's one called fibroblast uh, growth factor, IGF-1. People might be familiar with IGF-1 as well. And there's um, an endothelial cell growth factor that is also released by these hormones as they contract. Is it a glial one, right? Glial growth factor, isn't that in their glial one? Is that Uh, not released during uh, workout? No, that one is not to my, not to, Best of my knowledge, a, a glial cell growth factor, not not at least not produced by the muscles, as far as I know. Oh, so all those things are produced in the muscles. Yeah, that's what oh, I'm wow. talking about. It is it is the activity of the muscles that produces these hormones. They leave the muscle, they travel in the bloodstream, they can cross the blood brain barrier, where they can affect the integration of baby neurons into neuronal circuitry. They can affect the formation of new synapses. And in the case of someone who has these negative thoughts or positive thoughts for that matter, they are helping to solidify those networks, right? Mm -hmm. So if you've already got, you know, I can't send myself, I hate my body. I got to go and punish myself. I got to do, I got to do something horrible, painful to myself in order to have anything good. You are, you are helping to hypertrophy those circuits in your brain as you exercise. And that, that is why exercise is such a potent shaper of the mind. It's very potent. If you think about it, and, and this, this is a little slightly anecdotal, but see if this makes sense to you. Some of the things that are most informative to people growing up are the, are the experiences that they had in gym class. Mm-hmm. Or, or, <laughs> or during any type of athletics. Yeah, any type of athletics, man. You know, you were picked last on the team. Boy, that stays with you forever, mm-hmm. right? You had this thing happen over and over again in dodgeball or in softball. Those things stick with sure. you. And when you're, right? you're forced to put on those shorts and that t-shirt you don't want to wear and you're kind of ridiculed or you're exposing yourself yeah. and then that just gets locked in. That's so interesting. Yeah, because you've got this environment where you are, you, those muscles are cranking out these hormones and your brain's just going, oh, that's the circuit we want? Okay, great. Reinforce it, reinforce it. And then here's the other part, Ben. This is the part that's so fascinating to me is your brain is predictive. So it actually starts to get all that negative circuitry worked up. As soon as you start to walk into that gym door, it knows exactly what you're supposed to feel. It starts to go get ready for the pain. It gets ready for the stress response. All that stuff starts ramping up even before you grab a weight. Man, right? we've all felt that, right? Like I, we talk about, people often write me to say like, now that they've done my leg workouts, the anxiety starts before they go to the gym. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, okay, that's, that's not good, right? We need, to, we need to change that. Like we need, we need to associate that with like, hey, I know this is doing something good for me, right? Or back it off a little bit until you start to feel the enjoyment around that stuff because you want to have anxiety when it comes to the workout. Although, you know, sometimes those are your best workouts, but there's a conversation there around the sympathetic drive as being a necessitator to that high-level performance, right? Like that's what's going to drive our kind of glycolytic, galactic pathways. Yes, but here's the funny thing though, Ben. We have to to realize, and and you have to realize this, Ben, I'm sure you do, that people like you and other 
high level athletes are not the average bear. Sure. It's just not. I mean, you can't, we have to learn things from you, but we can't, we, we can't say, oh, I'm just going to do it like the high level athletes. Most of us don't just don't have the whatever to do it. But what's interesting is that you take guys, they looked at some guys in like the, the SEALs, uh, Navy SEALs. Um, and what they found is under high, they were trained so well that under high stress situations, whereas most people have these hormonal responses that indicate high levels of stress, they didn't have those hormonal responses because right. they just saw them as challenges that they can handle. Mm-hmm. Just kind of do it. So that's the thing. If, if I had my fantasy, what I'd want to do for that person who has the anxiety about your leg workout, I'd say, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's go in and let's do this for a leg workout. Let's see if we can figure out what, what's the part in here that creates the anxiety. Is it that you have to are, are you worried about something that's going to, something's going to happen to you, something bad that's going to happen to you? Well, let's see if we can solve that. So it becomes something where you're sol- it's more of a, of a solving the issue mind, mind frame than it is a, I just have to endure it, right? Yeah, I think it's just that, that anticipation of fear, anticipation of pain, right? Yeah, like the discomfort. Yeah. So we're like, okay, well, how can, yeah, solve it, maybe back up a little bit, don't go there, and yeah. let your body accustomate, yeah. customize itself to it. And then also, almost like a celebration. I'll never forget this. I was climbing Mount Whitney with my wife, and uh, it was our first time on Mount Whitney. That's a it's the highest peak in the continental U.S. And we were we we're at the bottom of this last the last pitch, I and mean, it was pretty long. And you know, both you know, we were it was hard, it was struggling, and it's one of those things where we both just said to each other, you know what? Let's figure out what are we going to celebrate right here? What can we celebrate with every step that we take going up this thing? Because we can either suffer, we could, could suffer this, or we could figure out a way of celebrating the fact that we can even do this. And in doing that, despite the celebrating it, despite the discomfort, it became less stressful as opposed to, oh, this hurts. Just take another step. Oh, this hurts. Crush it. Take another step. Man, that's funny. Did I tell you my story about when I climbed? It wasn't Mount Whitney, but it was one of those mountains in, in that range. No, no, no. I literally did the exact same thing. That's why I'm interjecting. Sorry to interrupt you, but no I, did, I did the first 90 minutes and I was just dreading it, man. I was in so much pain. Yeah. And then, and then I looked around and I celebrated the day. I was like, God, it's the most beautiful day. I'm with two of my best friends in the world. And I smiled and dude, I floated yeah. up the rest of the mountain, right? Literally like no yep. pain, no discomfort. My, my pace was probably doubled. It was the most beautiful thing. And, yep. and that became a rewarding experience the whole time rather than just dreading it and, and suffering the whole time. I love it, man. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm trying to remember what mountain, what peak it was, but I forget. It's escaping me right now. But it was one of those right, right near Mount Whitney. We know we drove, probably, drove past. Probably, probably Langley, Mount Langley. Mm, Cloud Ripper. Is that such a thing? Mm. I'm trying to remember something up there. I'll, I'll look it up, man. I'll find it. Okay. All right. That's cool, dude. Uh, so um, it's, the word peak was in it. I know that. Or peaks, maybe? Pikes Peak? No, that's in Colorado, right? Yeah. I don't know. I'll, I'll find it picking something to celebrate on when you're, so we're going to the gym and we're, we're experiencing yes. these anxieties and, and yes. um, learning how to shift our mind away from anxiety yes. from that away from that have to. Attitude. Yes. yes. That brings up another thing that, that I think um, that you're probably familiar with. And I know I've heard this term a lot and that is mindset, right? Mm-hmm. You want to have a positive mindset. And I think that's pretty cool. The thing that always concerned me is sometimes when I show up at the gym or wherever, you know, whatever venue, where I'd like to have a more positive disposition for whatever reason, I'm just not there yet. I'm just not there. And in the past, what I would have done was I would have tried to force that on. I would have tried to force on a smile, force on something, but I've come to understand that it might be a little more authentic to say, you know what? I don't feel that great right now, but as we were just talking about, what can I find that I can at least appreciate? And then what can I find to actually celebrate? And then what can, you know, so it kind of escalates and it yeah. leads to that positive mindset. So it's, or, or mind frame. So it's a, it's ability to flow, to be authentic about where you are, but to know where you want to be and authentically and gradually and gracefully get there. I like that a lot, man. And that's, that's sometimes more difficult to do than it sounds, right? It's like learning just yeah. to find that moment to find something to be grateful for. And I think that's yeah. training your mind, man. Like, I think I'm at the point now, I'm sure you're at the point now where you kind of go throughout life and, and rather than looking at things to be angry about, you find something to be grateful for almost immediately. It's almost a default, mm-hmm. but, it, but it's taken me 
10 years plus of doing that every single day to get there. Right. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Without a doubt that has become habitual, but it wasn't always. I'll tell an interesting story. Uh, You probably don't even know this band is I used to be, I used to play a tenor saxophone. That's pretty good. I played in New York city. I was in a band and, you know, played all over the place and having a good time. But I was so hard on myself, man. I would play these, like, you know, it was a tennis saxophone issue. I'd play a solo. And, you know, people would be going crazy, and it was awesome. And I was just steadily ripping myself apart. So I almost never enjoyed the solos that I'd play. Especially if I went into a recording studio, I'd want to do take after take after take. And they're like, dude, that's fine. And I was just ripping it apart. And I would practice three, four hours a day, and I could never, I could just never be satisfied. So it was... It was like 90% misery, 10% being satisfied and having fun. And that literally drove it to an end. I I didn't find a way of being kind to myself until it was too late. I I literally had to walk away from it because I was just ripping myself to bits. Okay, but how much of that drove your success? That's the question we brought up previously. I'd love to hear your, your expert opinion on that, right? Because I was the same way in bodybuilding, man. I dreaded it, right? Yeah. I, I dreaded it because I, I had so much inner contempt. And people yeah. are like, man, you look so great. I'm like, like you know, thinking in the back of my mind, I'm like, you, get, you guys have no idea, right? Like, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Yeah. I'm not there yet. It's just this yeah. constant perpetual seeking the top of the mountain rather than enjoying yeah. the, the, the view on the way up, rather than enjoying the process, right? Yeah, so how much of that do you think was necessary? I don't think any of it was. I really don't because I think that, I firmly believe that, that there was another way to get there. And, and the proof will be in, not proof, no, no, that's, not, that's the wrong word for it. But I want to, I want to see if I'm right about it because I'm looking at my saxophone. It's sitting right across from me. I haven't touched it in 10 years, over 10 years, 15 years, maybe closer to 18. Literally um, not touched it. Not touched it. Not touched it. I, I, I can't handle it. I just, uh, or I couldn't handle it. I could, at first I couldn't handle it because of the issues that I, cause I was just so hard on myself and then I couldn't handle it because I was like, wow, I don't even know what to do with it anymore. I don't think I, I don't even know if it would squeak for me, you know, and now I want to reconnect with it and I want to see if almost starting over again, if I can find a way to transfer this, these skills that I think I've developed into this thing where I, that was the first time I realized that my, I have to figure out a way of being kinder to myself because I absolutely destroyed something that I loved. What, I'm was, actually, your, what was your driving force when you were playing saxophone? Good story <laughs> on that, man. Let me hear it. Come on. <laughs> no, there are three people, John Coltrane, Joe Henderson, and Sonny Rollins, all just phenomenal tennis saxophone players. Uh, oh, four and Cannibal Adderley. And those guys I would just listen to them. I would listen to their genius and I didn't want to sound like them, but I wanted to have my own voice that was as distinguished, refined and moving as they were. And I heard a perfectionism in what they did, but that's, that wasn't what they were doing. I just had a misunderstanding about it. The the drive was, I wanted to reach a lot of people. I wanted to make people scream, you know, like with like just feeling good. I, I, so um, some type of inadequacy, right? You wanted you wanted some type of significance. I don't know if I wanted to be. I, I guess, I guess, but I never. But there wasn't. There was never because people would you know be shouting and throwing stuff, and you know, there's all kinds of reasons to think everything was good. Right, but everyone lives that, right? Like I'm on stage at the Olympia, and everyone's going, "Oh my god, man, you look the best you ever looked. You look, you know, the best best legs in the history of the sport." And I'm just, I'm just thinking of all the things that I didn't do right that I could have done better. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's it. And that's funny, man, because you can't even take a second to enjoy the moment. I talked to Flex Wheeler about oh. this in the podcast too, you know, yeah. who most people would say arguably has, you know, one of the top three physiques of all time, if not the best physique of all time. And mm-hmm. he said the exact same thing. He said, man, mm-hmm. you know, people are looking at me saying, Flex, you look amazing. And it's like, man, I just hated it. Like I was so insecure. I, I you know, I knew I, I could have done better. I was never happy. And like, man, mm-hmm. what about that drive success? And can we do it in some other way? And that's one of the big things I want you and I to get yeah. to the bottom of is can we in some way quantify that? It's going to be a very big, it's yeah. going to be a very challenging thing to ever quantify, but you know, can we, so, can we, can we create a process for people to say, Hey, you don't have to be that way. We've defined it. And I believe, and I'm sure you do too, mm-hmm. that the, the potential of those people is so much greater when you start to live from this place of, you know, running toward uh, yes. carrots rather than running away from sticks. Right. Yes. I think there's yes. just so, so much more 
joy and so much more fulfillment. But yes. then, then you might argue, or then I might argue that, you know, once you've found that fulfillment, now maybe you don't need to go as far because like, now you don't need that thing outside of you to fulfill your inner poles. I don't, know. I don't know. I don't know, man, because, okay, so another, I think uh, there are some living examples of this. There's, a, there's an artist, his name is Chick Corea. Uh, he's a pianist, a very famous jazz pianist. He's, gosh, he's got to be in his late 70s, maybe even early 80s by now. And this guy, you know, talked about how, yeah, he went through that stage of being a perfectionist and then learning how to just wait a minute, you know, and, and just being really hard and critical to learning how to be more joyful and spacious and relaxed. And, and it didn't, it, it didn't diminish his skills in the least bit. If anything, it expanded the number of artists that he worked with. But once you're there, it's not going to diminish your skills because you have the neural circuitry, right? Once, but to achieve that, would you have the same internal drive? Can, can you achieve I'd like to actually interview some about this, or maybe we can yeah. all talk about this. Like, can you achieve yeah. the same internal drive without the pain, you know, and I forget the book. Yeah. There's, there's a book that talks about this. Like they suggest you need the stick to run away from and the carrot to run toward to, right? If you mm. get my, if you get my lingo, like yeah, you know, yeah, running yeah. away from pain and running toward pleasure. I forget what the book was, but there's definitely a book yeah. that speaks about yeah. it. Yeah. One of the most popular books and you know, I'll remember it, but I wonder if it's possible to achieve that level of greatness. And I'm sure it is because there's people out there who have done it, but right. Uh, right. You know, what is it about, that that drove you to be as great as you were, and many athletes to be as great as they've been, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. with that pain. So let yeah. me answer this: What do you think it was about you, or the saxophone, or those four mentors that you had that gave you so much inner drive to be that great? Is, and is that something that we could teach? In the case of these these guys, it was definitely just their music and a superficial understanding of who they were. I mean, superficial, like I didn't, I don't know anything more than, you know, roughly where they were in the country, you know, they lived and, and the kind of the, the, the rough environment that the roughly about the environment that they grew up in, but it was just, it really was just something about how they just all had just such a clear and distinguished style of playing. It was so powerful that so many people copied them. I thought that was just... Yeah. So there's a book that recently came out from David Epstein called Range. Are you familiar with it? No, I'm not familiar with that. I'm writing so it down he right starts, now. So he starts to explore this kind of paradox that exists right now between people who specialize versus people who are generalists. Mm. So mm-hmm. suggesting that the most important thing you can do to become you know, the greatest at anything is unstructured play. So uh, yeah. rather than like having very, very structured practice of the saxophone, yes, was there time for you where you got to just explore and enjoy and play or was it structured from day one and yeah. how much did that play into your long-term attitude, right? So yeah. do you think there may have been more enjoyment in you if you didn't strive to be something else or if you just went, man, I just want to play. I just want to grab this thing and and flow no because here's what's here's what's so cool because this goes back to what we originally were talking about is um i loved just to grab a horn and play like there was if anything it took going to university and having a professor who's like dude you think you're good you need a little bit more of this some some structure and so and that was yeah. great it helped right. me a lot right that totally helped me out a lot the, the thing again ben and this is why the meditation oh, excuse me the mind training was so important for me is i was just not a friend of myself. I didn't like me. I was frustrated with me. I didn't like mistakes. I didn't understand why, how I could make mistakes. I wanted the things to be perfect. I wanted to be able to play exactly what I heard in my head. All those other things might be important. Unst- unstructured play, all that stuff was important. But for me, the foundation was I got to train my mind so that it's not getting in my way, so that it can be flexible, pliable loving. Did you think about that in university? No, 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 no university, man. That was a uh, fun. <laughs> university was a, that was fun. I mean, I, I worked my tail off cause I was, you know, doing neuroscience too, but you know, no, I was, I will not say that I was, you know, the most elevated cat, you know, on campus. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so let's bring this full circle and tie this into how the listeners can start to use exercise to anchor these call them peak mindsets, right? Like my, yeah. my listeners, my listeners are looking for, these are high achievers. They're looking to achieve everything in life. It's not like this, this attitude yes. of, you know, I like to repeat, you can have it all, right? It doesn't have to be like, I'm going to do this and sacrifice that or like, Oh, I'm not so yes. sure I'm good at that. Like, fuck that. Throw it out with, throw it out. Like we can do anything. I, I know it. If you can, you know, if anyone in the whole world can do it, this is actually one thing that I gathered from my mother when I was a child. If anyone in the whole world can do it, so can you. And yes. I, I repeat that a lot to my children. I repeat that a lot on the podcast. And I want people to know like, Hey, you can do anything. If you want to be the greatest saxophone player, if you want to be the greatest athlete, whatever it is, you can do it. The only reason you can is because the story you tell yourself as to why you can't. So let's stop that shit and start changing it. And I think this is yes. the glue that binds it all, right? This is this is the yes. this is the next steps in like, hey, here's yes. how we're actually gonna put, you know, boots to the road on this. Here's what I do for me and for all the people who I work with is once they have an understanding that when you are training your body, you're also training your mind, whether you intend to or not. If I have someone who comes to me and says, Hey, look, I really I have to develop a bit more patience. I find myself, you know, when I'm, when I'm working with my staff and somebody is either late or uh, they don't understand something that I sent to them and they didn't ask for clarification, I flap the handle. I'm not very patient about it. Okay, great. So one of the things that we might use as a focus is I might create an exercise for this person and I might say, okay, now for the concentric, you're going to move this thing over eight seconds. And then you're going to have a two-second isometric, and then you're going to have a 10-second eccentric contraction, right? So they are, and what you're going to be focusing on is just be patient with this, right? You're going to want to rush, you're, especially right here. You're going to accelerate this thing, but I want you to be patient with it. I want you to notice all the sensations in your body. I want you to talk to me about them, right? So, because one of the things that happens when you're impatient is not only you're impatient, but you're getting frustrated. You might even be getting angry. You might be all these things. So as they're doing the exercise, these things will come up and they get to see them. No. Right? <laughs> oh, for sure. Right? Yeah. 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 It's something that you literally are working on in that, in that set. You're working on patience, right? And all the stuff that comes up with it. So for each set, we've got either one thing that we're, one thing, patience that we're working on. We might have a list of 10 things that we're going, okay, for this set, what do you think we should do on this one? Yeah, this one... I'm going to do, you know, I'm not really good about asking for help, right? You have people like that? I'm yes. not good at helping, asking for help. So I take on way too much and then I suffer. And sometimes a project suffers and that's not good. So we create scenarios where you are going to need to ask for help or you're going to be in some serious trouble here, right? Wow. Need help so right now, right? So yeah. we create it, we work on it. And these things then trend, they, they follow you from the gym out because again, we are training the brain and we are hypertrophying the new circuits in the brain that we're trying to train. It's happening because those hormones are being produced. So you've got a ripe opportunity while you're working out. Now, is there more things that you're going to try to interject with between sets or is that just only during the set that I'm going to start locking these things in? Well, it depends. It, it has to be a progression because most people are not used to being so present right for so long right just like someone who comes in and says i've never worked out and i want to be a bodybuilder you wouldn't start them with the full volume that it's going to take you'd say mm -hmm. okay let's progress this thing right so it's the same thing as just doing this mind training i'm going to progress them so sometimes it might just be the first two reps of the first set and then a little jibba jab in between about the, that experience right and then but if you were to come in with one of my more seasoned clients you would see that yeah, we've got this, you know, this discussion kind of going on in between sets and even sometimes in between sets when they're really huffing and puffing and they're recovering and they can barely get, you know, a couple words in at first, you know, there's a little bit of time for that. Okay, what was what was that like to be that exhausted, to be that fatigued? Okay, how are you going to get ready for this next set? We start to talk about that and then we get into so, it. So let's talk about a scenario where, you know, you're training me or you're training a client and, and, you know, between sets or during the set, they're starting to experience the fear. They're starting to experience that anxiety that says, Jacques, I can't do another one. Jacques, you yes. know, it's starting to become really uncomfortable. Where are you yes. taking their brain? Okay. So a couple of things. Let's, let's first say that this per for this person's goal, 
there are two more reps that are required, right? Mm-hmm. Two more reps are required for this person's goal. And in addition to that, this person always says, also said that, you know what, I got to tell you, at work, I'm a pretty hard worker. But when it gets to be too much, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm out of here. I'm just, I, you, you don't pay me enough for this. That's too, nope, it's too much. And so I've gotten passed over a few times for promotions. So here we are on the gym. For their goal, they need to do two more reps. And they're telling me that they're starting to feel that, that anxiety, that discomfort, because this is getting it to be too much. What I'm going to say is, hey, what's it going to take for you to do another rep here? What are you concerned about? Where is your concern? I'm concerned that I'm going to hurt myself. Okay. Is it your needs? Are you feeling pain anywhere? No, I'm just feeling extreme feedback from my muscles. Yeah, that's feedback from your muscles. Let's see. And I know this is, this is, might be a repeat, but let's see if we can find something to celebrate in this thing. If there's nothing else to go to, find something to celebrate. Find something to celebrate. And that is usually the thing that will allow them to complete those, those last few reps even though it has taken them beyond what might feel comfortable. They're not in danger. They're just not feeling comfortable. And for their goal, it's required. If it wasn't required for the goal, it might say, okay, then you're done. Do you know it's really, required for the goal. It's really yeah. funny that you say that. It's like I, I've been having some issues in the hiring process lately where I'm hiring people who come across as great people, but end up being just lazy and, and not getting the work done. They need to get work, get done. So I've kind of just literally decided a couple of weeks back, that I'm going to start making a workout the part of a part of the hiring process because yeah. one people really let their guard down they start be, becoming a little more comfortable you know they, they to know who they are but yeah. the most important thing is you can see character traits man you can see like are they the one who's like taking the initiative to put the weights away to put the weights on or they stand there with their hands in their pockets that's or, right or are they like hey, yeah man I could do a couple more I could do are they a high achiever or are they someone who's a quitter and you can see that right away. That's right. Hey, so, so interesting. I, I was working with, obviously I can't, you know, use names, but this is, uh, the daughter of somebody who we would all know. And what dad was concerned about was that, you know, this, since this young lady grew up with extreme privilege, that she's really unaware of her surroundings and she doesn't really know how to take care of anything. So one of the things that we do when we train is she goes and get her own weights. You know how trainers will go and grab the dumbbells for you, bring them to you, stick them on your lap, and you know, do all that servicey stuff. Nope. She goes and does that. She wipes down the equipment when she's done. Right. She'll she even now will take my bottle and say, Hey, can I fill it up for you? Go over to the right. So it's using this whole experience to find stuff that people typically don't have to do. And that's really funny because I'd lock that in with like I just do that, I think, unconsciously with clients. If I see someone waiting for me to do something. Mm-hmm. There's no chance I'm going to do it. I mean, like, okay, <laughs> you go ahead, you know, like if they, if they help, I'll be like, relax, sit down, I'll do it. You know, or like yeah. I'll always step up and do it. But if I see someone expecting me to do something and that's, did I do that in my life? Like, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm always trying to be, yeah, I'm always trying to be conscious of the fact if you expect me to do something, you're yeah. doing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. I like that idea of yours, though, using the workout as a way of, of helping you see where somebody is right now. And you know what, man, what would be interesting is if you have someone, you're like, I really like this person, you take them to the workout, and you're like, huh, I'm seeing some things I'm concerned about. If you could say, hey, I'm noticing these things, is this something that you'd be willing to work on? And they might go, and if they're defensive, and you're like, what are you talking about? No, I didn't. Then you're like, okay, done. But if they're like, huh, I didn't know, I hadn't noticed that before. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, uh, sure. I, I guess so. You know, that might give you a window of opportunity to say, okay, we can do a probationary period. I'm going to be looking for you to make sure that you're working on this stuff. And if you don't, you're out. Now, tell me how you would integrate this into a relationship with your rose or your spouse. Because like, if there's some, uh, ac- right, so if there's some um, activity or some a non-activity or some something that's happening, you know, in the personality of someone around you, whether it be spouse or child or whatever, how do we start to use that to elicit behavior change? Is it possible? Uh, behavior change in, in another or? Yeah. 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 In, in your, in your family, in your spouse, in, in a employee or a teammate. That's interesting. The thing that, that I have found to be necessary is Either they have to invite you to help solve something, or you have to ask if they would like help solving something that you see. Got it. Makes sense. Might be an yep. issue, right? Yep. 
So, for example, this happens either in you know, family dynamics or, or on teams, you know, employees, what have you, where sometimes people will have a, they will have a problem and they will be complaining about this problem. And uh, you'll say, was well, that something that you'd like to you know, work on or shift? And it's like, no, 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 no. It's like, what? <laughs> but, but that is, that is their understanding of the world that this is just the way it is. I just complain yeah. about it. It's right. not something to be solved. I'm just going to suffer through it. And <laughs> I don't know, always, always know what to make with that, but I usually just leave that alone. But when I see somebody and they're, you know, they're in it, they're complaining, is that something that you want to like, you know, workshop some solutions on? Like, yeah, yeah. What do we do now? We got something. I mm-hmm. think that's always the first step is figuring out a way of being invited in or offering, you know, extending an invitation and having someone say, yeah, I'll take you up on that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, man, so that's one of the most important things I learned in my coaching is like, it's always asked, the, like when I coach people, I always ask, would you like coaching or would you like some help with that? And, you know, yeah. as soon as they get that permission, it seems like their brain seems to be more responsive. Yes, um, which Ben, we, we have to emphasize that that really is key because people's defenses go up real quick when you go, well, you know what you ought to do is, right. or my advice to you would be, or let me tell you what to do. That, <laughs> that seldom, seldom, seldom <laughs> So one thing I think that we didn't do in the beginning that I'd like to kind of come around to now is mm. just getting maybe a definition on neuroplasticity. Cause I, we talk about that. I throw that term in there a lot and people don't maybe understand it. And then yeah. walking that down the path of, okay, well, how do we influence it? What are the most important okay. uh, things we can do to actually influence this idea of the brain is changeable. Okay. Can we do a little bit, slightly a little bit of a rabbit hole thing? Oh think- yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, neuroplasticity you think of a brain you think of these neurons in the brain and these neurons have these connections to each other okay and one neuron is connected say to a neuron that's on the left but it's not connected to the neuron that's on the right but for the behavior that you want they need to be connected to the neuron on the right as well so that in order for that connection to happen there's a process that happens it's called neuroplasticity meaning a new connection is formed okay now, there are some ideas about the molecules that are needed for neuroplasticity, one of them being BDNF, that, that molecule that is made by contracting muscles is required in order for this neuroplasticity to take place, this new pathway, in the, this new connection in the brain. So if you have a series of neurons scattered throughout the brain who become related, we could say that we have a new pathway via neuroplasticity. Now, You have this brain thing that's sitting up there that has its connections. How would something that is hardwired change? How would you get, in other words, if that, if that hardwiring determines your mind, determines how you feel, then how could you ever change it? If the hardwiring is there, how could it ever change? That was the conundrum for a long time, still is the conundrum for for neuroscientists but there's a, uh, there's a guy named David Chalmers who has a really radical, interesting idea, and that is your mind is not necessarily a synonymous with the brain. And that this idea of a mind, this idea of consciousness, is a fundamental characteristic of the universe, like electricity, like charged particles, like gravity. That consciousness is a part of, of everything, that it's everywhere. And that our brains, through some mechanism that we don't understand, are able to filter through all the different possibilities of quantum mechanics, right? That this, uh, this particle could be here and there at the same time. That our brains are able to focus on one location of that particle. It's mm-hmm. not in two places at one time, as far as we're concerned. It's in one place. So our mind seems to behave by some law of quantum mechanics there's we don't we don't have a law of consciousness yet like we have a law of thermodynamics or newton's laws or even laws of um, quantum mechanics but the mind seems to be something that influences it is it is a non-physical thing that influences something very physical our brains and that seems to be a part of what allows neuroplasticity to occur so you need the physical structure to change for sure. But what initiates the physical structure changing? This mind thing, right? If I want to create a new habit, a brand new habit, mind has to be a part of that. And there seems to be a quantum element to mind. 
Any, so exercise is an easy one and, or not an easy one, but an obvious one. Are there any other things that people can do on a day-to-day basis that you would suggest would help amplify or accelerate this process of accessing the mind to influence neuroplasticity? Yes, I would, I would highly encourage people to do a little research. There are, I'm going to say dozens of, call them well qualified and vetted mind training programs that you would find the name that most people call would be meditation. And there are several different types of, you know, Buddhist meditation pathways. If you want to go that way, there's also, you know, this transcendental kind of meditation. There's all these different meditation forms. I would say find something that resonates with you. That's one way to go. The other way for mind training is a website called brain HQ. Mm-hmm. And it was put together by a team of neuroscientists, some of the you know leading neuroscientists really in the world. And this Brain HQ will take you through a series of exercises that help to keep your mind really sharp. And in doing that, it makes you focus on different characteristics of mind. It also you know spills over into learning and memory and problem solving and all these different things. As a matter of fact, you can even you can decide what you want to work on. It is a less self-driven way of training your mind. Very um, interesting. Now, you mentioned a name in there. You said David Chalmers. Can you know spell that last name? Yes. Yes. C-H-A-L-M-E-R-S. David Chalmers. Brilliant, brilliant guy. And he's a neuroscientist? I just want to make sure we'll be able, the listeners are able to find the right person and get the right information. Yeah. Any books that come to mind? Like, where would be a good resource to find him? There's a... TV series. It's kind of old by now, uh, but it, was it called, says he's a philosopher and cognitive scientist. Is that the right guy? Yes, that's the guy. Have long guy. hair. That's him. That's him. Yeah, that's him. If you see any videos that he's in or talks that he's giving, definitely well worth the listen and the read. And no judgment when you see the way he looks. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, man, you realize some of the most brilliant people are. You know, th- he just looks like a surfer. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a book though, that it's one of the best books that I read and I actually read it probably once a year. It's called the mind and the brain, uh, neuroplasticity and the power of mental force. It's very, very well written, uh, but it's not just fluff. It's very well written, but yeah, I mean, think about that neuroplasticity and the power of mental force, this, this mind thing that we can't put our fingers on that we can't get our instruments on is driving physical processes. This thing, the what you think about can drive the way your digestive system handles something that you eat. That, I mean, that, again, I just, that blows me away. Oh, here's another example of it. This thing, this mind thing, can drive physical events that actually make you feel less pain. Of course, yeah. There's a whole, this is something that, you know, we could even talk about one day, are, and I'm saying this as a plural, are the placebo effects with an S because there's not just one, there's several of them. And if we are strategic and smart, we can take advantage of at least one of them. And that might be very instrumental for some of our workout goals. Give me an example. If, uh, yeah, sometimes uh, somebody will come in and they'll say, yeah, you know, my knee's just feeling kind of funky. You know, my back is just all kind of sore and tight. What do you think you need to do to get that sorted out? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I was like, do you feel like you need a massage? Yeah, maybe. Well, what is it about the massage that you know lets you know that something's working? Well, it usually hurts a bit. I was like, ah, okay. Well, anything else that you feel like you might need? I don't know. I feel like I need a stretch of some kind. Like that sensation with something stretching out. Okay, all right, that's fine. So now I know what they need to experience in order to feel like something is being done. So as long as what I do to them satisfies those two criteria, their sensation of pain might actually completely go away and may not address any issue, any problem at all, but at least their pain will have gone away. We can go and train. And that's a game changer for any personal trainer out there. That's right. And that is, that is due to one of the placebo effects. And I'm telling you, blows my mind because we see this happen over and over again in all kinds of different scenarios. You could even do something like this. If someone believes that when, when they see like a massage table, when they see a massage table, what happens on, on a massage table? Good things. You feel better when you get on the massage table. Then set up the massage table. 
<laughs> right. It, it, you've already, you've already, it's, it, they also call it the white coat syndrome. You know, some people, when they see a white coat, they're like, okay, something good's going to happen. Other people see a white coat and they're like, uh oh, here comes pain, right? Mm-hmm. Here comes pain, but then I'll, but then I'll be healed, you know? So we can take advantage of some of these things. And that is why I think it's important as trainers that if you take advantage of this placebo effect and someone's pain goes away, that doesn't mean that you, that anything quote got fixed. Nope. Or, and there, maybe there was nothing wrong in the first place, but I'm just saying there are ways that we can we can knock down this person's discomfort enough that we can they can participate in exercise that day. Now, as a trainer, I still might be a little bit I might back off on the load or on the speed or whatever to make sure that I'm not you know playing through an injury. But at least I've got I've got a tool now that I can see if this is something you know can we get this pain to shift enough so that we can train. Now, Jacques, you've got 100,000 high achievers sitting in front of you. What is the one thing you tell them to, that they must be doing every single day to achieve their full potential? Train your mind. Train your mind. Find a way to train your mind. Identify the skills that you would like to develop. Identify the behavior that you'd like to enhance. And I, I, I say that identify the things that you want, not the things you don't want. Because if you identify the things you don't want, you'll drive right toward them. Identify the things that you want. And then build those, take, I would have some type of, I'll call it a stationary body, mind training session. Then I'd have a moving body or an active body, mind training session every single day. All right, man. When's the book coming out? Teach teach everybody how to do this stuff. (laughs) When's the book coming out? I actually have a meeting with someone next week who's supposed to help me with figuring out how to do a book outline and get to writing. Because yeah, that's, that's the next step. This is huge, man. This, this is huge. And this is a game changer. And everybody listening to that, this will know that. And I, I just want there to be more information and more action items on this stuff. Like, hey, you know, yeah. exactly what you just said. That, that's the simplest approach right there is you have a seated stationary practice and you have a, a mobile practice, both intentionally going after those habits that you're trying to or that you're looking to achieve. I hate the word trying um, that you're yes. going to achieve and intentionally, but again, it takes quite a bit of thought and a little bit of presence to, at least for me, because I've not gone through this before, to actually think of, okay, I'm trying to achieve more compassion, more empathy. How do I build that into a workout program? Now, now here's the thing though, Ben, and this is, this is the part that, that really excites me is, you know, how long someone who doesn't have your experience would take trying to put together a a balanced leg workout. Mm -hmm. They would be struggling with that for a while. You know, or they might come up with something haphazard, right? You have the experience that you can design something for someone, right? You can do the same thing with this mind training part. You can struggle with it and you might get kind of get it together or you can consult someone who can help you figure out, oh, these are the things, this is how I want to train my mind as I'm sitting still. And this is how I want to train my mind as I'm moving about, right? So you're right. It does take time. But it is time well worth spent. Otherwise, when you move your body and you're not strategically training your mind, all those things that you may or may not want or that may or may not be serving your goals are being hypertrophied in your brain. Do you know what's really funny to me that comes up in my mind right now is all those people out there complaining about lack of focus or lack, oh. lack of ability to go deep and they all got their phone in their hand when they're working out, man. Everyone, right? Yeah, leave your phone in your car. That's right. That's right. And yeah, that's, that's, you hit it. That is it. Shock, where can everybody reach out to you? Are you doing custom programs on this now? Or is this something sure. you're working on in the future? No, I sure am. I sure am. You can reach me at Jacques at myotopia.com. That's uh, probably the easiest way to reach me. Or you can even go to myotopia.training. See what I'm up to there. Instagram, myotopia. And Instagram, myotopia. Yep. Yeah, I'd love to love to hear from you. And the book will be coming out in 2020. 2020. That's it. That's yes. it. We're doing it. And you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. We're holding <laughs> this feet to the fire. <laughs> I'm doing it. I wrote it down. <laughs> hey, man, I love it. I love it. Yeah. We'll make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Well, dude, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I know your life is extremely busy and your time is extremely valuable. So, I'll speak for myself and all the people listening that uh, thank you. Thank you very much for your wisdom and for having so much passion in this area. Like I said, I've known you almost 10 years now, maybe over 10 years actually. 
man, your passion from day one has always been so, so myopic on, on this. Like I, I love the nervous system and your passion for the yeah. nervous system is amazing. And now you're just really, really just finding that, that piece that excites you so much. So man, thank you and don't ever slow down. Oh, thank you so much, Ben. It's been a pleasure and I really appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.